Today it is good to be here and to, to worship you. Um, it, it is it is sweet to sing these praises to Jesus. I just want to say if this is uh, your your first Sunday or if you're or if you're new around here, I would love to to meet with you in the back after the service. Um, there's a little table area that we have we have created. We have a gift for you. Actually, have a, a nice meal planned that we want to invite you into. And so. Um, so yeah, come see me after the service. We, we're in the middle of a, a short sermon series uh, that we began last week uh, called Servant Leadership. And in this particular series, we're not talking about leadership in, at your job or in your career or what it means to, like, to grow as a leader in whatever. We're actually talking about the mission of Christ. We believe that all of us play a role in the mission that Jesus has given to his church. And that role is leading people to Jesus. So in some very real way, we are all called to leadership in his mission. Jesus takes some time in John chapter 13 to speak to his new leaders in the church about what it means for them to be a part of his mission and to lead others to Jesus, to lead others to himself and he gives this example to them of washing feet in John chapter 13. And so we're going we're gonna to turn there today, and we're going to look at what Jesus has for his disciples, what he has for us, how he speaks to us about what it means to be a servant leader. And now last week, we already looked at this passage a little bit in verses 1 through 11 and also verse 20. And what we saw last week is that the type of leadership that he is calling us into, the the mission that he's calling us into, we can't just jump into it and start doing good. We too have to actually be clean. It takes us being clean to lead well. So we have to be connected to Jesus for any of it to matter. We can't just start doing good. We can't just start serving others. We can't just start washing feet for it to matter unless we are clean. And so we looked at that last week, but today we're going to look at the foot washing a little bit more and see some of the explanation that Jesus gives to it for us to understand what he's getting at in giving this demonstration to the disciples and calling them into to leadership. I'm excited for us to dive in uh, this week. Um, we're going to wrap up this series next week. Uh, Bobby's going to come and preach for us. I'm looking forward to that uh, next Sunday as well. Uh, but I want to ask our scripture reader to come. Jasmine's going to come and read for us in John chapter 13, um, verses 12 through 21. And as she comes, um, I'm going to pray, and you can use that mic right there, um, but I'm going to pray for us as she gets ready to read. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We know that it is a gift to us. And uh, God, I pray that in these moments you would quiet all other voices that would seek to compete for our attention. Um, Father, even our own flesh that seeks to compete for our attention, even in these moments. And I pray that we would hear from you, we would listen, and we would obey. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 12 through 20. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet for i have given you an example that you should that you also should do as i have done for you truly i tell you a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him if you know these things you are blessed if you do them i am not speaking about all of you i know those i have chosen but the scripture must be fulfilled the one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me i am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen you will believe that i am he truly i tell you whoever receives any one i send receives me and the one who receives me receives him who sent me to god be the glory amen thanks be to god amen amen late night feedings um have resulted in me flipping through the Disney Plus channel lately so that I can stay awake uh, and make sure that I'm feeding Macy what she needs. Um, and uh, recently I-, I landed on the remake of Pinocchio. Who even knew that there was a remake? I missed all of like the, uh, the previews for it and just dove right in, not knowing what I was getting into. Um, it took me about 10 minutes to realize that Geppetto was Tom Hanks. I didn't get that even right away. I was like, what is this magic that I'm watching right here? Because the original Pinocchio was in the 1940s, and now here we finally have a remake, right? Um, there is a character in, in both the original and the new one called Honest John. He is the fox. I think we have a picture of him uh, with Pinocchio here for you. Uh, but here in this moment of the story, Honest John is trying to convince Pinocchio that he needs to get into acting. He needs to join the circus. And uh, of course, Honest John isn't that honest. He's actually trying to make some money by selling Pinocchio to the circus master, right? And uh, he has an amazing line in the remake that when he said it, I was just like, I felt like somebody should have dropped the mic or something because it was one of those lines where, yes, a very convincing argument. And he says this uh, to Pinocchio, nobody wants to be a nobody. Everybody who's anybody wants to be a somebody. That's very strong and very convincing, although not very good. Um, I, I covered up Macy's ears in that moment. And I said, don't listen to honest John. Jesus wants more from you. And she said, yes, I know Jesus wants more from me. <laughs> of course, I made that last part up. You, you know, she, she can't talk yet. But um, As we dive into this text, uh, we, we see Jesus saying something very different. He speaks to his disciples in a way that is shocking to them because what he says to them takes place after what he does for them. He takes off his outer garment. He puts on a towel. We talked about that last week. And then he bends over, pours water into a basin, and begins to wash their feet. 
This is shocking to them because he is their teacher and their Lord. And he is taking on the role of a house servant. Not a role that they think that he should take. They, they probably think, well, I've already watched my feet coming into this place and you shouldn't be doing this, so please don't wash my feet. And we saw the interaction last week between Peter and, no, no, don't do this. And of course, Jesus is pointing at something much more than they would understand necessarily in that moment as he's saying, well, if you don't have your feet washed, then you have no part of me. And this is basically pointing to the cross, saying that you need to be clean to be a part of what I'm doing, to be a part of this mission and what I've called you to. That's what we saw last week. That was one side of the coin. The other side of the coin Jesus gets into, and he explains a second teaching then about this foot washing moment. There's a framework here in verse 16, chapter 13, verse 16, that I think is helpful for us to look at. Last week we saw how verse 20 was a framework, but verse 16 is also a framework for us seeing what the foot washing moment is all about. We know it's important because it starts out with the word truly. And we hear Jesus saying to his disciples, as John records it, he says, truly, I tell you, in verse 16, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. This is important. Jesus is saying, you've got to understand that you are not greater than me. And what have you just seen me do? If you're not greater than me, then maybe you should do the same. And then we understand verse 15, it gives us the reason for why Jesus washed their feet to begin with. For I've given you an example. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. They're giving this example from Jesus, and he is calling them to humility. He wants them to know that what they are entering into is an important season for his mission. If you've understood anything in John's gospel in this particular part of the story, we've looked at John chapter 14 and 15 and 16 in our last series, and we saw that, that Jesus was going to the cross for sure. He was going he was going to be resurrected for sure, and then he was going to ascend to the Father. And when he ascends to the Father, that means that we are entering into a new season, a season of the church. And Jesus is saying to them, this is important. As you enter into this season of the church, you've got to enter into it with humility. I need you to be humble. This is shocking to them. Not only see Jesus doing this, but to hear this teaching from him. Because as they were looking forward to this next part of their journey, they were looking forward to the kingdom on display. They had signed up to be at the front of it all. They had followed and left everything. They followed him and left everything so they could be at the front of it all. They could be leading this. And now Jesus is asking them, to take a back seat, to go low. He's asking them to humble themselves. The type of leader that I want you to be, Jesus calls them to be humble, to be 
a servant. This is shocking what he does. It's a teaching that they have a problem with. How do I know that they have a problem with it? Because Jesus has to tell them, you're not greater than me. You're not greater than me. They have a problem with that. And and what happens is that their pride in themselves, it begins to manifest. Pride, it gets in the way of humility. We see it with two of the characters in this story, don't we? Two that are mentioned that are there with Jesus in this moment. Two of the disciples that have a difficult time with what Jesus is teaching and what he is getting at. The first one is Judas. We know Judas the betrayer, right? He was the one that rose up against Jesus by by selling him to the authorities. And we see John give us a little bit of insight to the motive of why. Why did, did Judas betray Jesus? Now, we don't wholly know everything, but we get a little bit of the motive here in verse 27. It says, after Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you're doing, do quickly. They have entered into this moment of the Lord's Supper where Jesus has taken the Passover meal and he's now interpreting the Lord's Supper. Um, He's interpreting differently in light of him. And in the middle of that meal, verse 27, it says that Satan entered into Judas and Jesus said, what you're doing, do Quickly. Now, we don't know a lot about the backstory of Satan. We know some of the things that are mentioned in Scripture. We know that he's not a worthy adversary. We know that it's not God versus Satan. God's actually in charge of everything. So Satan is actually, in, in Scripture, it's mentioned that his backstory is that he is a fallen angel. So he's not like, like the direct worthy enemy of God. That's not it. He's a fallen angel under who God is. And what happened for Satan is that he saw God and was jealous and wanted power for himself. He became prideful. It was Satan and pride that entered into the mind of Judas. Jesus had gotten a little bit out of hand for Judas and his taste. He was seen a little bit of a nuisance for the religious establishment that was there. And Judas played a a major part in getting rid of Jesus by betraying him. He didn't want Jesus and his ways anymore. Judas thought that his own ways were better than Jesus. Had a tough time with humility of realizing that Jesus was greater than himself. He's not the only one, is he? If you were to look at the the last part of this chapter, we're not going to look at these particular verses in the last part of, of John chapter 13, but you see Peter as well, who has a trouble, has trouble with humility. And he has trouble with what Jesus is doing. He has trouble with being a part of it. And we see John give light to the fact that he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Now, John would have assumed that you read Matthew's accounts on this particular moment where Peter denies Jesus 
three times. And I want you to, to read it with me, beginning in verse uh, 69 of chapter 26 in Matthew. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl approached him and said, You are with, the, with Jesus, the Galilean, too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 71, when he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, this man with Jesus was with Jesus, the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know this man. And after a little while, those standing there approached him and said to Peter, you really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away in verse 74. Then he started to curse and to swear, to swear with an oath. I don't know this man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Now, I told you about the, the evening, late night feedings. The morning feedings <laughs> happen rather early these days. Macy, I'm sorry, but you're going to be some illustrations coming up here uh, for the next few weeks, maybe years. But She wakes up around 6 a.m., actually to be more specific, 5.58 a.m. And uh, you can start to like hear her ramp up, you know. It's, it's, you hear one cry, and if you just kind of wait it out for a moment, she does fall back to sleep, you know, for about 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes. You hear that first cry, and it's just, okay. She's starting to wake up, but let's give it a moment. Then the second cry, it's, it's a little bit louder, a little bit longer, but if you can handle it and, and wait it out, she does then tend to fall back to sleep for a few more minutes. But that third cry, it's game on. <laughs> there, there is no turning that baby off, right? Unless you get up out of bed and you take care of that baby, right? She needs to be changed. She needs to be fed, all of it. And you're not getting back to bed. It's done. You're, op- you're up for the morning at that point when she gets to that third cry. We see this ramp up with her in the mornings. Similar to what we see here is Peter. He cries out. The first couple are just kind of there. He's, just, he's denying like Jesus in, 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 in a way that's, that's subtle, but he's still denying Jesus. I, I don't know what you're talking about. He plays clueless at the beginning. And then he brings this oath in to the picture the second time and says, I don't, I don't know that man. And then the third time, he swears by the oath. It's game on at that point. He is denying Jesus flat out. There's no mistaking it. I, I swear with an oath that I do not know that man. Now, if you know anything about Hebraic culture during that time, when you start speaking with oaths, you're, you're sharing that oath between you and God. That's the understanding of the oath. And so what Peter is doing, he, he's swearing with an oath to God, saying to the people, I know God, but I don't know this man. I have a connection with God. I'm not connected to that man. Peter, he 
sees himself as greater than Jesus and his ways and what he's doing. He's going to do his thing because he's connected with God. And what is this man doing that's now arrested and standing before trial and talking about death? This is not what we signed up for. Jesus calls his disciples and his movement to be humble. But the problem that we have is our own personal pride. We think of ourselves far too greatly, don't we? Jesus, I'll do this for you. I got this list of things that I will do for you. I really like doing some of these, so I'll just do them for you, right? I'll do this for you. But over here, these things, don't ask me to do these. We think we're better than Jesus. We know better than Jesus. Or maybe your experience of this whole church thing and, and, and Jesus and his mission is like, this is for me. This is only for me. I come here, I sing songs, I pray, I listen to Chris talk for about 30 minutes. I'm good. This is, this is for me. Don't ask me to do anything for you, Jesus. I'm not going to ask you about your mission and how I'm supposed to be involved with that. That's, that is not anything that, that I want to give you permission to speak into my life about. What's there? It's pride. Pride in ourselves. Pride that we got our lives figured out. We know more than Jesus knows about what we need in our lives. We need to be humbled. But how do we do it? How in the world do we hold on to humility? I mean, I can tell all of you, just walk out these doors and be humble. Good, we're done. But how do we really do that? Because the first moment that pops up in our life and like this is hard for us to do, like we're not thinking about like washing someone else's feet when we face like so much tragedy in our own lives. We're not, we're not thinking about taking care of someone else and, and about someone else's eternity and leading them to Jesus when we got our own things to deal with. So how, how in the world do we actually hold on to humility? Because I don't know if you're anything like me, but I matter. Don't you think you matter? How am I just supposed to be someone that, that just says, all right, forget it all. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to bend over, wash feet. No, no, matter, no matter what happens to me, I'm just going to wash feet. I'm going to sacrifice. going to be humble. That's hard to do. I don't know everything like me, but I can't do that. I get what these disciples are dealing with. I understand what's going on for them. When Jesus asked them to to go low when they have chased after so much success and stability. They want their lives to be different. Now you're asking me to put others first in a sacrifice. John 13, 19. I hope it's helpful for us this morning. Let me get back there. Jesus says to them, this is after he says that someone's going to to come against him and that's going to basically lead to the cross. He says then in verse 19, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, 
you will, and here's John's favorite word, believe that I am he. I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. What is he talking about? What's going to happen? He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. And this is not going to be my mistake. It's not going to be by mistake. This is the plan. And he wants his disciples to know that he is willingly going to the cross because the cross changes everything. This is what we put our hope in. Here is how we live a life of humility, washing other people's feet. It's when we see the cross clearly for what it is. Just when they thought Jesus couldn't go any lower than being a house servant, he dies a criminal's death on the cross for crimes that he did not commit, a false trial. Not only that, he didn't just die a criminal's death on the cross. He also died on the cross bearing the weight of our sin. Sins, plural. Everything that we've ever done and will do on the cross. The worst thing that we've ever done on the cross. Just when we thought Jesus couldn't go any lower than washing feet, he dies a criminal's death and he takes our worst sins, our ugliest sins, and takes them and dies for them on the cross. He bears the weight and it crushes him to death where he is buried. Just when we thought he couldn't go any lower, he is buried for our sins. And what happens in that? You and me. We get lifted up. As Jesus goes low, we get lifted up. We get everything that Jesus does deserve. The cross is our hope because in the cross, our lives are changed. In the cross, he advocates for us. He lifts us up so that we can go low and serve others, knowing that the king of kings, the one who is in charge of it all, has lifted up and spoken on our behalf. We can sacrifice anything when we know that the God of everything is for us. I want you to understand that this is important for us to get and to see the cross, the cross clearly. Jesus, who was the somebody, the somebody, he became a nobody so that anybody can become somebody in him. That's what Jesus has done through the cross of Christ. It's not just about being humble. This isn't just a, hey, let's be humble people. No, Let's be people that cling to the cross because it changes everything. And we now can wash anybody's feet because the King of Kings washed ours. So what is our response? I want to give you one word. And I think it's a powerful word. 
think our response is to surrender. To surrender to Jesus. He gives us the example of washing feet, right? But he also gives us an example of what it looks like to live a surrendered life. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus praying in the garden. And we see some, a beautiful prayer, and we've seen it covered in other Gospels, but there's something pretty unique here in verse 4 that really gets to the heart of who Jesus is and his relationship with the Father. And verse 4 says, I have glorified you on earth, speaking to the Father. Jesus came to glorify him on earth. And he does so by completing the work you gave me to do. The way that John's gospel presents itself. God the Father sent Jesus. And in this unique relationship, he was given a mission. And on the cross, he completes the work. He completes it. This is not easy work. Jesus dies an agonizing death on the cross for our sin. If you look in Luke's gospel, you see that, that he's actually in so much anguish that he's literally dripping sweat of blood, right? It's coming out of his pores. And he, and he literally says, if there's any other way that I can still accomplish what you sent me to do that isn't the cross, then, then let me do it. Let's pick something else. This is not easy that you've called me to. But he says, not my will be done, but yours. Why does he say that? Because he has surrendered to the will of the Father. It's not good enough to be humble. I think humility only takes us so far. Humility isn't even the opposite of pride. No, rather, the opposite of our personal pride in ourselves is surrender. Humility is just the pathway to get there. We must live surrendered lives. It says, our Jesus, he is the greatest. I am not greater than him. I want to close with this last verse in Galatians. As we think about this surrendered life. Galatians 6, verse 14. Paul gives these words, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through, through the cross and I to the world. What is Paul saying? The only thing I'm going to be proud about, that I'm going to boast in, is nothing in myself. But as someone who has surrendered to Jesus, the only thing that I'm going to boast in, that I'm going to be proud about, is the cross of Christ because it has changed everything for me. And I want to encourage you, brother and sister, as you think about the mission that God has called us all into, it starts with you being surrendered to Jesus understanding what the cross has done for you. I think Honest John has some, some words that are helpful, but they're not honest. <laughs> He's trying to help Pinocchio, but they're not honest. He says, nobody wants to be a nobody. Everybody who's anybody wants to be somebody. I think 
John, the gospel writer, not the same John, but John, the gospel writer, would have said, somebody became a nobody so that he could serve anybody. And he's asking you to do the same. I want to invite the band to come, and they're going to begin to play. And as they do, I just want to ask you a couple questions as we process and listen to the Holy Spirit as we cling to the cross this morning. First question for you and for me as we listen to the Holy Spirit. Where do you see the sin of pride in your life? Where has life become all about you? Where do you see that sin of pride, personal pride in your life? Secondly, have you boasted in the wrong things? Have you boasted in your accomplishments, your life? You put your hope in the wrong things. What does it look like for you to humble yourself before the cross and boast in it and it alone? What does it look like for you to humble yourself before the cross and to boast in it and the cross alone? Finally, you're just going to hear a lot of questions like this at One Community Church because we are together on mission. How is Jesus asking you to wash others' feet? What does that look like this week? What does that look like? Jesus, we thank you that you have not only given us the perfect example of how we are to live our lives, but you've made a way us to live the lives that you've called us to live. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you that in the cross you lift us up. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, you lift us up. So Lord, whatever you're asking us to do, we just live surrendered lives. We humbly come before the cross and we surrender. Whatever you're asking us to do, as hard as it might be, as much as we may not really want to do it, we surrender. As much as we may feel like we are sacrificing, we know that you are lifting us up. We thank you, Jesus. You care about us. You lift us up, that you know everything about what we are going through. make a way for us to be lifted up in Jesus in the cross. 
pray all of this in Jesus' name.